Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It is once again our Thursday morning weekly Parsha Shir. Today, I'd like to thank my good friend, Rav Moshe Kulak of Chicago, and his family for sponsoring today's Shir. Uh, Rav Moshe, may Hashem bless you and your family uh, with success and with nachas and all the most wonderful brachas. We're studying together Parsha Pinchas. Um, if you have it in front of you, we're going to go straight into the text. Perak Chof Zayin, Posuk Tezayin. Vayedaber Moshe el Hashem Leimoyer. Moshe spoke to Hashem. The Balaturim, by the way, points out that uh, of all the times it says in the Torah, Vayedaber Hashem el Moshe Leimoyer, this is the only Posuk where it says, Vayedaber Moshe el Hashem Leimoyer, the other way around. It's just an interesting observation. He doesn't give... Uh, an ex- at least I didn't understand his explanation, but it's just an interesting observation. Always the Posik is Vayadaber Hashem al Moshe Lamer, and now Vayadaber Moshe al Hashem Lamer. Moshe speaks to Hashem. Hashem has just told Moshe Rabbeinu that his time has come uh, to pass on, uh, to leave this world, and he, that he was not going to go into Eretz Yisrael. So in, in response, Vayadaber Moshe al Hashem Lamer, Moshe speaks to Hashem. Says Moshe, okay, um, I'm going to go, but the Rabbi Nishalolim needs to appoint a successor, somebody who's going to be in charge of the community, a man over the community. Moshe Rabbeinu was insisting that before he goes, um, it be made clear who his successor would be. Moshe says, look, if we don't take care of this now, things could get kind of messy among the Jews, you know, in the absence of a leader. People tend to act out. Nature hates a vacuum. Let's take care of this now. Um, who is going to take me over? But then Moshe gives the specifics of what type of a leader he would like for the Jewish people. Quote, Pasuk Zion. It should be a leader that should go out before them, that should come forth before them, who will take them out and bring them in. Let the community of Hashem not be like sheep without a shepherd. Hashem says to Moshe, appoint Yehoshua. A man in whom there is spirit. Hashem says you should place your hand upon him. Give him smicha, if you will. Appoint him. Um, appoint him during your lifetime. So all the Jewish people should see that he, Yehoshua, is going to be your successor. And uh, this is Hashem's response. When you read it on, the, on a simple level, it's very straightforward. Moshe Rabbeinu asks for a successor. Hashem says it's going to be Yehoshua. And Hashem says... You, Moshe, are going, to appoint you, are going to appoint Yeshua as your successor in front of the Jews. Do so now. And Moshe, in fact, does. Moshe does exactly, uh, exactly that. Ba'amadatu um, Oisei Hashem says, appoint him the presence of Elozer HaKoyen, who was at this time the Kohen Godel, because this conversation is happening between Hashem and Moshe after the passing of Moshe's brother Aaron. Hashem says, position him in front of Elozer, the Kohen Godel, belief they call in front of the entire community, and command him to take over in their presence. Hashem says, you should place your glory, you Moshe, should place your glory upon Yeshua, so the Jews should listen to him as they listen to you, Moshe Rabbeinu. He should stand before the Kohen Godel. He will, Yeshua will now ask, pose questions to, to Hashem, before Hashem, through the Urim, through a system called the Urim Betumim. On his command, on his word, the Jews will go out and will come back. Him, all the Jewish people with him, the entire community. Moshe does exactly as Hashem commanded him. And he takes Yehoshua. He places him before a lozer. In front of the whole community. Moshe puts his hands over him. And he instructs him. As Hashem instructed, and instructed Moshe Rabbeinu. Again, on the surface, the story is... is it's, it's actually relatively easy to understand. Hashem tells Moshe, it's time for you 
to pass on. The Jewish people are getting ready to go into Eretz Yisrael. They've now lived out their 40-year sentence in the desert. Um, Moshe Rabbeinu says, we need a successor. Hashem says, it's going to be Yehoshua. Appoint him. Hashem describes the process. And Moshe does exactly uh, as Hashem tells him to do. He takes Yehoshua and he places him in front of the Kohen Godel, in front of the Orem Vatumim, in front of the Bez, in front of the Sanhedrin, in front of the whole Jewish people. And Moshe gives him smicha and commands him, does exactly as Hashem instructed him. Okay. Of the, of the millions of details in the story, um, today, I want to try to focus with you on one part of it. Um, an obvious question in one of the details and one of the nuances of the way the Torah presents the story and analyze a very, uh, um, a very, what I understand to be an emotionally charged commentary of Rashi here. So one of the many things that the commentaries discuss here, if you go back to Posek Yud Zion, Posek 17, where Moshe describes what type of a leader it should be. The Posek says, quote, a leader, a leader who will go out before them and come before them, and will take them out and bring them in. So that the community of Hashem won't be like a sheep without a shepherd, won't be like sheep without a shepherd. And the commentaries ask, it's literally saying, it sounds like the Torah is literally saying the same thing twice. Who will go out before them and come in before them and will take them out take them out and bring them in. So why does Moshe Rabbeinu saying the same thing twice? It should just say, who will go out before them and come before them. All right, so again, Rashi says that Moshe Rabbeinu said to Hashem, I don't give me a leader. Don't appoint a leader of the Jewish people who's going to sit in his ivory tower, who's going to sit in his mansion protected by guards and send the Jewish people out to war. Not interested. Means that he himself should lead the Jewish people out to battle, right? With that famous Jewish battle cry of Acharai. The leader always goes first. If he's a real leader, he's, he doesn't send other people, put other people in harm's way while he lags behind protected. If there's danger that needs to be faced, he goes into the eye of the storm. That's the first thing Moshe Abinu says. And what's What's the second thing Moshe says? That the leader should not lead the Jewish people in a suicide mission, right? Even if he's ready to go first, if the mission is a failure, what value is that? But rather it should be somebody that has chusim, should be, should be a tzaddik, sufficiently holy enough that he should actually deserve to bring the Jewish people victories in their battles. Let him, he should have this chusim to lead the Jewish people out to war and to bring them back from the war um, and to do, so with, to do so with success. Okay, all right. It's well known that Moshe wanted his own son uh, to be the one to take him over. Um, that, was, that was the deeper meaning of Moshe saying, appoint an ish, appoint a man over the community. Moshe did want his own son to take over. And Hashem said, no, it's not going to be your son. Uh, because your, Hashem says to Moshe, because your son wasn't studying Torah. Instead, Yehoshua, who learned Torah um, at Moshe Rabbeinu's feet, and he was Meshamash Hamidei he, he, he was Meshamash, he served the, the Torah students, it was going to be Yehoshua. So Yehoshua had the Torah learning and the schusim uh, to do this. Okay. And here there is a very short, a very short uh, Rashi that I want to study with you today. On the words, Vasher Yevien, Again, the says, It seems a redundancy. So in the words, after Rashi says, they should have this. Rashi adds another cryptic, just couple of words, typical Rashi style explanation, which to tell you the truth, when I read it, it made my, it made my head almost burst. Vasher Yevim says Rashi, Bizchuyos of Dovor Acher. Another explanation. Says Moshe Vasher Yevim, quote, I'm going to read it in Hebrew and I'm going to translate. Shaloi Tasaloi, Kederach Sha'ata Oisali, She'eni Machnison Loritz. Shaloi Tasaloi, Kederach Sha'ata Oisali, She'eni Machnison Loritz. Rashi says, there's another explanation. In the additional request of Moshe Rabbeinu, 
excuse me, first request is, Moshe says, don't give me a leader who was a chicken who's going to stand behind and send the Jewish people to war. Let him go out in front of them. Second request, let him be worthy of bringing the Jewish people salvation. He should have his chosen. Okay. There's another explanation, says Rashi. That this was Vasher Yitzim, Vasher or at least Vasher Yitzim part. This was a personal request of Moshe Rabbi. Moshe says to Hashem, "Look, besides for the fact that we need somebody worthy, somebody who's going to lead the Jews and have this chusah. Besides for that, I have a personal request." Says Moshe to Hashem, "You know what it is? Whoever it is that we choose, whoever it is that's going to be my successor, do me a favor," says Moshe Rabbeinu to Hashem. Don't treat him like you treated me. I want you, the Rabbeinu Shlodim, to be better to him than you were to me. Don't do to him what you're doing to me. Excuse me. What is it so terrible that Hashem is doing to Moshe Rabbeinu? That literally in the first time they have this conversation and Moshe tells Hashem... I, what, what kind of a leader he wants to appoint? Moshe is saying, "Don't be, don't do to him what you did to me." Rashi says three words: "Quote, I'm not taking the Jewish people into Eretz Yisrael." Do me a favor, says Moshe Rabbeinu. Don't do that to my successor. If we're going to, not if we're going to appoint somebody who is going to be the next leader of the Jewish people. Don't sabotage him, says Moshe to Hashem. Don't cut him off halfway through. Don't let him not go through with it. If we're going to appoint somebody, it should be somebody who will have the grit to lead the Jewish people in war. But it should be let this guy do his mission. Let him see it through. Let him be the one to actually bring the Jewish people into Eretz Yisrael. Don't treat him like you're treating me, that you're not letting me bring the Jewish people into Eretz Yisrael. And in typical Rashi style, end of commentary, no explanation. All right. Now, this is an incredibly difficult Rashi to understand and very intriguing. Number one, the first question is, Moshe Rabbeinu is upset for something that Hashem did to him that he's not taking the Jewish people into Eretz Yisrael. Moshe is not taking the Jewish people into Eretz Yisrael because he sinned. It was a consequence for a sin that Moshe did. Hashem repeated this over and over again because of the story with the rock and the water, right? Whatever that, that's, that takes place in Parsha Shlach, whatever the specifics of that story was, Hashem says again and again, that's the reason why you're not going into Eretz Yisrael. So what does Moshe Rabbeinu mean? Don't do to him what you did to him. That's not something that Hashem just did to Moshe. It was a repercussion. It was a consequence for Moshe's actions. Question number two. This successor, whoever, this part of the verse, Yeshua has not yet been named, at least not in the Pesach. But this successor, whoever it is, this individual, is also going to have free choice and is also going to be subject to Hashem's system of reward and punishment. Reward and punishment are one of the 13 principles of Jewish faith. If this successor, whoever he is, is going to sin, he's also going to face Almighty God's consequences in whatever shape or form Almighty God decides. And no request of Moshe Rabbeinu is ever going to change that. So what's Moshe Rabbeinu saying? Don't do to him what you did to me. You're not letting me take the Jews into Eretz Yisrael. First of all, in Moshe Rabbeinu's case, it wasn't that Hashem wasn't just, wasn't stunned, just not letting him. It was because of Moshe Rabbeinu's actions, deeds, sins on Moshe's level. And with regard to the successor, you can rest assured the system is going to be the same. Surely Moshe understood this. If the successor does what Hashem wants, then he'll be rewarded like the rest of us, like you and I. And if the successor sins, doesn't do what Hashem wants, then the successor will face God's system of reward and punishment, like everybody else. What was Moshe asking? That the successor should be immune? And even if he sins, he should take the Jewish people and their soul anyways? Seems like a strange request. Seems like a request 
that cannot be rewarded and honored. Another part of this to that's difficult to understand is how Moshe is already equating himself with his successor. Don't do to him what you did to me. <laughs> What's the connection? Each man is judged for his, and each woman is judged for her own actions. Since Hashem doesn't hold one person responsible for somebody else's actions, that's not how it works. And what is Moshe Rabbeinu hoping to achieve with this request? Oh, Hashem, let's appoint a successor, but I have a request. What's Hashem, what's Moshe saying to Hashem? Please be nice to him? What does that mean? Don't punish him if he sins? Ignore it? Was Moshe Rabbeinu davening that, that if the successor sins, he should be forgiven? Okay, there is a system of teshuva, there is a system of, 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 of doing teshuva and, and being forgiven by Hashem. But again, what's that got to do with Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe Rabbeinu is saying, don't do to him what you did to me. Why would I think that Hashem would do to Moshe's successor what Hashem did to Moshe? How did the two connect? And then I got one more question. And then I got one more question. You'll remember from a couple of parshas ago, parshas Baaloischot to be specific, the Torah named two prophets, Eldod Umedot, Moshe Rabbeinu's relatives, half-brothers, if I remember correctly. Eldod Umedot. Eldod Umedot said prophecy. What was their prophecy? They said, Moshe Meis, V'yehoshua Machnes, Es Yisrael Oretz. They said Moshe is going to die and Yeshua is going to take the Jewish people into Eretz Yisrael. So what's the problem? Why is Moshe concerned that things are not going to go well? We've already heard this prophecy. Moshe is going to die and Yeshua is going to take the Eden into Eretz Yisrael. In fact, Yeshua had a horrible reaction to this prop to that prophecy. In Parshas Baloyz, when it was stated, Moshe, Yeshua asked Moshe Rabbeinu to, 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 to cloim, to lock up these two prophets, to get rid, to dispose of them. Moshe welcomed the prophecy. Moshe Rabbeinu said, they said prophecy, beautiful. Halavai, all of Klal Yisrael would say prophecy. That was Moshe's response. And the prophecy was that Moshe would die and Yeshua would bring the Jewish people into Israel, into Eretz Yisrael. And by the way, the rule is that positive prophecy, Nevuas Latoiva, prophecies for good always have to be fulfilled. So why is Moshe all of a sudden concerned that things are going to go wrong for Yehoshua or whoever the successor is? When the prophecy has already been stated, when the prophecy has already been stated that it's going to be Yehoshua and he is successfully going to bring the Jewish people into Eretz Yisrael. By the way, by the way, that's actually exactly what happens. Yehoshua does bring the Jewish people right away into Eretz Yisrael. Within 33 days after Moshe Rabbeinu's passing, they go straight in, right? Moshe Rabbeinu passes Zion Adar. The Torah says they mourned for Moshe 30 days till the seventh day of Nisan. At, on the, as soon as Moshe, as soon as Shloshim for Moshe Rabbeinu was over, Yehoshua gives the people three days notice. He says to them, in three days, we're going into Eretz Yisrael. And the 11th day of Nisan, the Jews went into Eretz Yisrael. Yud Aleph Nisan. Within the first, right, in the United States of America, we like to talk about the first hundred days in the office of the president, right? Never mind the first hundred days of Yeshua. Then the first 34 days, boom, mission done, accomplished. They were in Eretz Yisrael, over. And yet, Moshe has the, the chutzpah, if you will, the gall to say to Hashem, you know something? Before you appoint a successor, I have a request. Don't treat him the way you treated me, that you're not letting me go into Eretz Yisrael. An intriguing and difficult Rashi to understand. Okay, I got two private questions. I'm going to try to read them um, and, and do my best to, to answer them. Question number one, did Hashem need to get advice of Moshe who to appoint? Um, did Hashem need to get advice of Moshe who to appoint? That's a good question. Um, well, Moshe asks Hashem that the one who is appointed should be his son. 
right? Chazal say, Chazal tell us that this story comes right after the story of the daughters of Tzlovchad. And when Moshe Rabbeinu saw that the daughters of Tzlovchad get their wish, get their request to inherit, Moshe said, I also want my son to inherit, to inherit me. Hashem said, Hashem said no. On a deeper level, we can also ask why Moshe Rabbeinu was even asking that his son should take him over if we already know that Moshe, Mace, that Moshe is going to die and Yeshua is going to bring the Jewish people into Eretz Yisrael. I don't know that I have an answer for that now. The next question is, the punishment for hitting the rock was greater than it should be, and Moshe was saying, don't do that, in my, don't do that to my replacement. Um, actually, I'm going, we're going to try to talk about that a little bit today. Um, the, the idea, the, the punishment or the consequence, if you will, of Moshe Rabbeinu not going into Eretz Yisrael. Okay, it seems, let's move on. It seems that the source um, for Rashi's commentary is from a, Yalkut, from a medrash called Yalkut Shimoni, um, here on the Pasuk. And the Yalkut, the medrash, in its typical style, gives for this an analogy. The analogy is, is, is both humorous um, and tragic at the same time. But again, in typical Midrashic style, it, it, it fills in many more elements of, of the picture of what's going on. The Midrash says like this, Moshe Lamelech says the Midrash, an analogy of a king who wanted to marry a woman who was an orphan. An orphan woman, the king wants to marry her. So he sends a message to the woman and he says to her, W-Y-M-M. Will you marry me? And the woman says, no. Now, who responds negatively to a proposal by the king? This woman, Yosoma, this orphaned woman, which, to the best of my understanding, it doesn't just mean that she's orphaned. It means that she's, she's an impoverished individual. She, she sees herself as an impoverished individual. She tells the, she sends a message back to the king, I am not worthy of being the queen. Find someone better, bigger, find someone better, find someone more beautiful, find someone from a better family, find someone with, with better yichas, find a better candidate. The king says the medrash doesn't like that answer. Kings don't like to be told no. So he approaches her again and gets the same answer. Seven times the king is begging this woman to marry him. Please, please, please. Until eventually the woman says, all right, Ganog, I'll do it just to get you off my back. No, the manager doesn't say that. The woman says, all right, Beseda, and she agrees. A little while later, the king gets angry with her and he's going to divorce her. So the woman turns to the king and says, Adoni Amelech, my master, the king, I never wanted to marry you in the first place. <laughs> I never wanted to marry you in the first place. This was all your idea. And now you're divorcing me? No, if you're divorcing me, says the woman, probably you're going to find another woman to get married to. Do me a favor, says the woman, right before she leaves. Don't treat your next wife like you're treating me. So says the Medrash. That's the Moshe. So says the Medrash. The Rabbeinu Shalom came to Moshe Rabbeinu at the burning bush and said to him, I'm appointing you to be the one to go to Paroi. Take the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, do me a favor, I'm not interested. Me anoichi, who am I? Not me, I'm not worthy. For seven days at the burning bush, the Rabbeinu Shleilam begged and pleaded and insisted and even got angry, whatever that means. Until eventually Moshe acquiesced and said, okay. Now, says Moshe, I never wanted this job in the first place, but as soon as I, as I, I took it, we took the Jewish people out of Egypt with wonders and miracles, and then you cut me off halfway through and said, you're not taking the Jewish people into Eretz Yisrael. All right, says Moshe. So you're going to appoint somebody else, yeah? Do me a favor. Don't treat them as you treated me. 
Don't cut them off in the middle. Let them see it through. End of, end of Medrash. Again, I don't know that the Medrash answers many of the questions, but the Medrash definitely gives us background to the, to the, uh, to the, to the source of the commentary, the commentary of Rashi. And basically what the Medrash is saying in more detail is that Moshe said to Hashem, look, I never wanted this job in the first, I never wanted this job in the first place. Remember Almighty God? It was your idea. You insisted for seven days, like the orphan young woman, like the orphan girl who gets proposed to by the king seven times until she acquiesces. Hashem had to wrestle with Moshe Rabbeinu for seven days at the burning bush. And Moshe says to Hashem, I never wanted this in the first place. You forced me into it. And then when you forced me into it, you took it away from me. Don't do that to the next, to my next successor. Right? It's like there's an expression in the Mishnah. Against your will you live, against your will you die. Meaning, before the Neshama comes into this world, the Neshama does not want to come into this world. Hashem forces it into this world. Once the Neshama is in, in this world, the Neshama doesn't want to leave the world. Hashem forces it out of the world when it's, when, when it, when it's its time. So Moshe was saying to Hashem, look, I never wanted this job in the first place. Once I took it, I thought we did good. You took it away from me, Hashem, Moshe Rabbeinu says to Hashem, you took it away from me against my will. Don't do this. This is Moshe's request. Don't do this to the next guy. Be, be nicer to them. Okay. But the Medrash does force us to wrestle with another question. The other question is, Moshe Rabbeinu himself also seems to be vacillating on this, to be going, well, not vacillating, but he also seems to be flip-flopping on this. The first time Hashem comes to Moshe Rabbeinu to appoint him as a leader, Moshe Rabbeinu says, I'm not interested. No. Moshe literally tells Hashem, find someone else. Shlach tishlach. I'm not worthy of this position. Hashem forces or convinces or whatever the case may be, Moshe Rabbeinu takes it anyways. And then at some point, Hashem cuts it off. And now Moshe Rabbeinu is upset. Moshe Rabbeinu davens that he wants to go. You want, he, Moshe Rabbeinu resists. He, now, now he wants to take the Jewish people into Eretz Yisrael. Kind of like the king with the, with the, with the orphan wife, where, where the question goes both ways, right? We tend to point at the king and go, first you want her, now you don't want her, right? Not nice. If you married her, keep her. Why are you divorcing her? Okay, fair question. But what about the other way? Do you want to be married to the king or not? You're also going, you're also talking out of both sides of your mouth. First you say no, and now once the king marries you, now you say yes. First Moshe Benes says, I'm nothing, I'm nobody. Who am I to be a Jewish leader? I don't deserve it. Send someone else who's more worthy. But then halfway through, when Hashem does take it away from him, Moshe Benes says, wait a second, it should be me. Oh, what happened to Mr. Humble? If you're really not worthy, why are you so resisting when Hashem says you're going to die in the desert and somebody else is going to take you over? All of a sudden, Moshe is insisting that it should be him. Why? Okay. I want to share one insight. I, I, I struggle to find um, many sources that talk about this. If anybody was listening to this live or, or through the recording um, knows of good sources that talk about this Rashi or this Medrash, um, please, I, I, I'd, love to, I'd love to see it from the inside. I didn't find a lot of commentaries talk about this Rashi. But I think there's, there's one insight that's, that's incredibly important here to... to to see that to, to have a deeper understanding in this request of Moshe Rabbeinu to Hashem, quote, don't do to him what you did to me, that I'm not taking, I'm not bringing the Jewish people into Israel. All right. Let's go a step deeper. Let's go a step deeper. 
I think if you stop any yid, any Torah learning yid in the street and ask them why Moshe Rabbeinu isn't going into Eretz Yisrael, why Moshe Rabbeinu didn't go into Eretz Yisrael, they'll tell you that it's because he hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock or something to do with that. The truth is that Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu long before the story of the hitting of the rock that he was not going into Eretz Yisrael. That's the truth. If you look at a Rashi at the end of Chumash Shmois, Parsha Shmois, the first time Moshe complains to Hashem for the way he's treating the Jewish people in Mitzrayim, Hashem tells Moshe, again, without getting into too much detail, Hashem tells Moshe, you can look it up, it's a Rashi almost at the end of Parsha Shmois, Hashem tells Moshe, now you're going to see what I'm going to do to Paroi. And Rashi says, you're only going to see what I do to Paroi, but you're not going to see what I do to the kings of Eretz Yisrael because Moshe, he was telling Moshe Rabbeinu that he's not going to go into Eretz Yisrael. So obviously there's a deeper reason, there's a deeper layer to this idea that he's not going in. It's not, it's, it's, it's not simply because he hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock or according to the Rambam, because he called the Jewish people rebels at, at, the, at the site of the, of, the, of the hitting of the rock, etc. There's obviously more to it. And here again, we turn to the Medrash to fill in the details. And again, the Medrash gives an analogy. The Medrash says, Moshele Royas is the Medrash, a Moshele of a shepherd who is entrusted with watching the sheep of the king. And as he was watching the sheep, the sheep, wolves came and consumed them all. The shepherd comes back, situation beyond his control, the sheep have all been devoured, nothing left. He wants to come back into the palace of the king. The king says no. If you come back into the palace of the king, then everybody's going to look at you and point at you and say, this is the shepherd on whose watch all the sheep were devoured. Not happening. And the king does not allow the shepherd back into the palace. End of an, uh, sorry, end of analogy, end of the Moshe. So too says the Medrash. Hashem says to Moshe, you took the Jewish people out of, out of Mitzrayim. They're your sheep. They're your generation. On your watch, they all died in the desert. And now you're going to go into Eretz Yisrael with the next generation. They're going to look at you and they're going to say, where are your sheep? Where are your people? Says Hashem to Moshe Rabbeinu, you stay in the desert together with them until the time comes. Otherwise, if I remember correctly, the Medrash says, otherwise they're going to say that the generation of Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't have a chelik in Olam Abba. Hashem says to Moshe, you stay with them. You stay with them until they're ready to go into Eretz Yisrael with the coming of Mashiach, and then you'll come in, then you'll come into Eretz Yisrael together with him. I'll tell you what I think is the deeper meaning behind what's going on here. Let me ask you a question. If you were running a company, if you were running a business, <coughs> if you were looking to fill a position, right, in your, any kind of institution, any kind of, you're looking to fill a position and you go to somebody who you believe is really capable and you say to the person, I want to hire you or I want you to be my ambassador to do X, Y, and Z. And the person says, no, I don't want it. I'm not interested. I'm not right for the job. Find somebody else who's better than me. I don't have the skill set. Leave me alone. Would you hire the person even though they're resisting? If you needed to argue with a person for seven days in order to get them to take the job and they tell you that they're taking it terribly reluctantly, would you hire such a person? Would you hire a person if the only way you could get them to take the job? Would you employ a person if the only way you could get them to take this position is by literally getting angry with them and basically forcing them to do it where the person tells you, I'm not interested? Even if you believe the person is capable and even if you believe the person does have the skill set and even if you believe their humility is, 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 is unnecessary. Would you employ such a person? Isn't it one of the most basic principles 
of any significant position and job that in order to do well, you have to want to be there. If Hashem comes to Moshe and says, take the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim, and Moshe says to Hashem, I'm not interested. I'm not worthy. I'm not, I'm not ready. I'm, I'm, I'm too humble. I, I, I don't want to be the one. I don't have the skill set. I can't talk. For seven days, Hashem is giving him one answer. Aaron, your brother will help you. And this is what you should say. And Moshe Benu says, I'm coming to the Jews. I'm going to tell them. Hashem sent me. They're going to ask me questions. I'm not going to know what to answer. Hashem says, I'll give you an answer. Moshe says, the Jews are not going to believe me. Hashem says, I'll give you tools. They should believe you. In the end, Moshe Rabbeinu literally says, he, he actually literally says this. He literally says, do me a favor, just send someone else. Of course, Hashem knows the future. Of course, Hashem knows that Moshe Rabbeinu is going to be the one to take the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim and give them the Torah and split the sea and be Rabban Shulkol Anavim and the greatest Jew that ever lived, of course. But what's the significance of the Torah telling us a story like this? If Moshe resisted for seven days with every excuse under the book. And it seems like the more Moshe argues, the more he insists he doesn't want to be the one, the more Hashem doubles down and says, yes, it's you, it's you, it's you. It's like, it's, it's like this dysfunction, God forbid, dysfunctional relationship. Right? We're like the more Moshe Rabbeinu says no, the more the more Hashem seems convinced that he's the right one. And why is Moshe Rabbeinu saying and on the flip side, why is Moshe Rabbeinu saying no? If Hashem comes to you and says you can and you should do XYZ, what do you say? No? Right? I'm too humble. Who am I? What do you mean, who am I? You're the one Hashem is speaking to. You're the one Hashem is saying it's supposed to be you. The problem, of course, in Moshe Rabbeinu's case, the reason why he did not want to accept the position or why he, so to speak, wrestled and struggled with Hashem, one of the, one of the explanations, is that Moshe Rabbeinu was a real Oyev Yisrael. He was a real lover of Jews. He felt their pain. At this point, when Hashem came to Moshe at the burning bush, the Jews had been in Mitzrayim for 209 years. Moshe Rabbeinu felt their pain. And he knew that if he came to the Jewish people as their leader, if he came to them as the Moshe Rabbeinu, as the representative of Almighty God, that the message to the Jewish people would be that there was a reason why they had suffered. There was a purpose to all of it. There was a godly divine mission. The Golos leads to Geula. And that all of this was part of Hashem's plan. That was the message that Moshe was instructed to give the Jewish people. Go and tell the Jews that Hashem did not abandon them, but rather that there was a divine there was a divine fingerprint, the Rabboni Shalom's involvement at every step of the way. Hashem said to Moshe, I want you to go to the Jewish people and be my emissary. Speak on my behalf. Tell the Jews the time of their redemption had arrived. And there, right there, right there, is the part that Moshe Rabbeinu resisted more than anything. He said, I don't want to go to the Jewish people and tell them that their suffering is justified. I don't want to go to the Jewish people and tell them that there's a reason why they suffered in Golos for 209 years and their babies were ripped out of their mother's arms and thrown into the Nile River or put into the walls when, when, when there wasn't enough cement to, or not enough bricks to, to finish them. 
There's a, I don't want to go to the Jewish people and tell them that they're, that para bathing in the blood of Jewish babies is all part of Hashem's plan. Moshe says to Hashem, that's too painful of a message. Moshe Rabbeinu said to Hashem, it's not even a message I accept. You're almighty God, you can do anything. Why are you making the Jewish people suffer? I refuse to accept it. You see, he knew, you see, Moshe knew that if he went to the Jewish people and if he, if he was their leader and if he was their Moshe Rabbeinu and if he would be the Makabal Torah Messinai and, 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 and all the rest of it, he knew that his message would have to the Jewish people would have to be that everything that's happening is all part of Hashem's mission. And Moshe says to Hashem, I, I, I don't want to represent you that way. I don't want to represent you that way. Of all the philosophical questions in Torah, we're equipped with answers for all of them. The Torah has given us answers and explanations for everything. There's only one question that we don't really have an answer for. And, there's only, and it's the only question we're, we're not supposed to answer. And, and we're not supposed to accept an answer for it if one is given. And that is for the suffering of the Jews. Why? And any explanation you're going to give me that Hashem does this in order for the Jews to get to that, etc., etc., any explanation you're going to give me, we can turn it right around on its head and say, Hashem, Rabbi Shlodim, you can do anything you like. You didn't have to do it this way. Now here's the irony of this. The more Moshe Rabbeinu says to Hashem, I don't want to be the one to go to the Jewish people and tell them that Hashem put you in Golis and made you suffer for 209 years and now it's time to leave. I don't want to be the one to do that. I feel their pain. It hurts, it hurts. I don't want to be the one to give the Jewish people a philosophical explanation or a divine explanation or any kind of explanation for it. The more Moshe Rabbeinu says that, the more Hashem is, so to speak, rubbing his hands together with glee and going, you are the perfect Jewish leader. It's you. Because you understand, you, Moshe Rabbeinu, understand what it means to empathize with a yid. You understand what it means to stand up and defend and fight for the sake of Yisrael and say we refuse to accept this. So the more it's, it's, it's like this terrible irony where the more Moshe is resisting being the one to come to the Jewish people and tell them it's all part of the plan. It's all part of Hashem. The more Moshe says, no, I don't like this. Just take away the Jewish people suffering and don't let them ever suffer again. The more Hashem falls in love with him. The more Hashem sees in him a real manhig, a real Roya Yisrael, a real shepherd of Klal Yisrael. The more he becomes the paradigm for all Jewish leaders for all future generations. Hashem says, not despite your resistance, I'm going to send you to be the Jewish leader. Because of your resistance, because your resistance shows how deeply and, and how, how your connection to a fellow Jew is so deeply rooted in your essence. Hashem says, so obviously you're the one. And he sends Moshe Rabbeinu. All right. The Jew, Moshe Rabbeinu takes the Eden out of Eretz Yisrael. But as the Jews are in the desert, it becomes destined upon them that they not go into Eretz Yisrael. It becomes destined upon them that they not go into, that they not go into Eretz Yisrael for all sorts of reasons that we, we've been learning about in the past couple of parshas. Okay. Now the question is, now there's one question left. Now, now there's one issue left to, 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 to figure out, to, to uncover. One stone left unturned. Can Moshe Rabbeinu at some point say, Rabbeinu Shalom, it's true I was a Jewish leader. 
it's true I led the Jewish people, took them out of Mitzrayim, gave them the Torah, everything. They are not going into Eretz Yisrael. I would still like to go. Is there one part of Moshe Rabbeinu that isn't married to the Jewish people that has to go down together with the Jewish people till the bitter end? Or is his sentence sealed together with them? Moshe Rabbeinu says to Hashem, okay, I've done my job, right? I did everything I was supposed to. I brought them to the desert. It's not my fault that they sinned. It's not my fault that they're destined to remain in the desert forever. Let me go into Eretz Yisrael. And Hashem says, no. I chose you, says Hashem. Don't forget, says Hashem to Moshe, why I chose you. I chose you because of how deeply and intrinsically connected, because of your display of Abbas Yisrael, because of, of, the, of the, the deep care and concern you displayed for the Jewish people. I chose you because you were the one who felt the pain of another Yid. Now they're all dead in the desert. Now you think you're going to leave them? No. The day I appointed you as a leader of Klal Yisrael, says Hashem to Moshe Rabbeinu, we made you the greatest paradigm of what a Jewish leader is, dedicated and connected to his people 100% and then some. There isn't one part of you that's going to be able to detach itself from the people of your generation. Zero. If they die in the desert, so will you. Will you go into Eretz Yisrael? Absolutely. When? Not one day before your sheep go into Eretz Yisrael together with you. Okay. Now it comes time for Moshe Rabbeinu to pass. The 40 years are over. Moshe says to Hashem, we need to appoint a successor. This needs to be a leader, says Moshe Rabbeinu, who will stick his neck out for the Jewish people. Criteria number one, man of the people. If the Jewish people are in danger, he's going to be in danger. If there's a war to be fought and there's bullets flying, the leader will be the first one to walk into the line of fire. He's going to be the one. Wait a second, says Moshe Rabbeinu. I have a request. I don't want you to treat the leader of the Jewish people, the next leader of the Jewish people, as you treated me. In my case, says Moshe, once I became the leader, my fate was so sealed with the Jews. It was so intrinsically sealed together with them that there was nothing left for me. I did not retain my identity as an individual. My identity as an individual was completely lost. That thing left. Perhaps as Moshe to Hashem, you can be a little more gracious. You can be a little kinder to the next leader. The Jewish people are an unpredictable bunch. You never quite know what's going to happen with them. Perhaps in the case of the next leader, says Moshe, this is a personal request for me. Leave him some independence. Let him be a mensch. Why does he have to serve and work for the Jewish people 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year for his entire life? Leave him a little bit of independence for himself. Don't do to him what you did to me. I cannot take them into Eretz Yisrael because they're not going into Eretz Yisrael. When I was preparing this year, I, I, I made a connection. I don't know if it's 100% accurate, but in, in my head it kind of fits. It's a famous halacha. It's quoted by the Rambam, taken from the Gemara. The Gemara says... What's the halacha if a, stu- if, a, if a student in a yeshiva, by mistake, kills somebody by accident? May Hashem protect us. 
The halacha is, if you kill somebody by accident, the student has to go to the city of refuge. Sorry, sorry, it's not the other way around. What's the dinner for Rosh Yeshiva? The other way. What's the dinner for Rosh Yeshiva? Loyalein, Rachman, kill somebody by accident. So the halacha is, if you kill someone by accident, you have to go to the city of refuge. What if it's your Rosh Yeshiva? Magalin Yeshiva Sayyimoy. The halacha is, the whole Yeshiva goes together with the Rebbe to the city of refuge. Relatively simple halacha to understand. If the Rosh Yeshiva goes, then the whole Yeshiva goes together with him. After all, it's his Yeshiva, right? If he's got to go, his students go with him. Wherever the teacher goes, the, the students go there too. Okay. What about if it's the other way around? What about if it's a student who killed somebody by accident? One student. Says the Gemara, Maglin Imoy. His teacher, his rabbi goes together with the student to the city of refuge. Really? We can understand that the student's got to follow the teacher, but why does teacher got to follow the student? The answer is, it happened on your watch. It's your student. It's your fate. A Rosh Hashiva, a teacher, is only as great as his students. If the students end up, if a student ends up in the city of refuge, it's the, Rebbe's, it's the Rebbe's responsibility to pick himself up and take his whole yeshiva with him and go to the city of refuge and sit there with the student as long as the student sits there. When he's done, then everybody can leave. Perhaps it's the same kind of thing over here. Once Moshe Rabbeinu became the Nasi Hador, once he became the Moshe Rabbeinu, once he gave the Torah to the Jewish people, as Hashem said to him, you're married with your entire essence to the Jews. Now it comes time to it comes time to to appoint a successor. Moshe says to Hashem, "There is a part to being a Jewish leader which is very costly. There's an expensive part to this. Wherever the Jews end up, the leader has to end up there together with them. The Jews die in the desert. Moshe dies in the desert together with them." Maybe don't do that to my successor. I don't believe Rashi means that Moshe was saying to Hashem, make sure Yeshua takes the Jewish people into Eretz Yisrael, even though I'm not. I think at this stage it was very clear that Yeshua was going to take them into Eretz Yisrael. In fact, that's exactly what happened. But Moshe knew that there would be other challenges along the way. Other things would happen. And he says to Hashem, tell me, what, what kind of a relationship are you going to nurture here between Yeshua and the Jewish people? Is he or Yeshua going to have to suffer every time his people make a mistake? Is it going to drag him down, God forbid, if his people go down? Or can we leave a corner of independence for Yeshua where he can be a mensch in his own right? So that even if the people end up, God forbid, who knows where, Yeshua himself can be salvaged. Rashi doesn't say what Hashem answered. But if I may be so brazen, I believe Hashem's response to Moshe was absolutely not. Take your hand, says the Rabbeinu Shalom, and put it on Yehoshua. Place your own glory upon him. Make him a leader like you. Where the people go, so go you. Where Yehoshua's people, so go him. And you know what? That's the reason, Laman Yishmu, that's the reason why the Jewish people will listen to him. Laman Yishmu Kaladas B'nai Yisrael, because they know that his fate is sealed together with them. I heard a great, I heard a great sort of cute vort um, recently, but it, it, it's, it's connected very much to what we're talking about. Someone made an interesting observation. He said, Loyal Lenu, may Hashem protect us if somebody has to go for surgery. And, they, and it's a complicated surgery. And they need a surgeon to do a complicated surgery on them. You're going to pick just any surgeon. You walk into the hospital, right? You walk into the doctor's office. Who's available? Yankel. Yankel, the Kent Schneiden. Yankel, you know how to cut? Yeah? All right, do the surgery. Oh, no. Before we allow anybody to do surgery, 
we do drishas vachakiris, we do inquiries. We want to make sure that we're gonna be touched by no less and no, none less significant than the best surgeon in town. After all, we're putting our life on the line here. I'm not gonna let somebody cut someone open, someone else up before. I know the person is skilled and has tens of years of experience and, 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 and good experience and comes highly recommended. And if there's someone else who's better, we're gonna go find him. And yet, very interestingly, when people get on an airplane to fly from one side of the world to the other, nobody ever asks, who is the pilot? How many years flying experience does he have, right? Has he ever crashed before? With a surgeon, Rahman Litzlan, if there's one mishap on the surgeon's watch, who knows if anybody will ever use the surgeon again? What about a pilot? What, our lives are less on the line when we fly in an airplane? No, we literally, and in this, we literally place our lives in the pilot's hand. And when we go in an airplane, it's not just one of us, it's a few hundred people. All of them place their lives in the hands of the pilot. Nobody says, boo, boss, what's going on here? Let me see your credentials, which school did you go to, right? I should, should I won't fly with a, you never hear somebody say, I'll never fly with a pilot if he wasn't trained in Harvard. I don't know if Harvard has a flying school, but if they did, the best of the best, ah, we don't ask which school he went to, garnish, we ask no questions. We sit down, we buckle up, we eat the, we eat the pretzels and, and off we go. The pilot gets on, introduces themselves. My name is Yankel Zorach. Nobody even listens. What's the difference? Somebody said very smart. What's the difference? The difference is simple. When the surgeon operates, whose life is on the line? The surgeon's life is on the line. The surgeon is sitting with a white, standing with a white coat and gloves over his hands to protect himself. Surgeon's life is not on the line. The person who's being operated on, their life is on the line. Before you touch me, let me make sure you're qualified. But when you get on an airplane, everybody's life is on the line including the pilots. The pilot is sticking his own neck here, sticking out his own neck, just like everybody else. So what are you gonna sit there and find out what the pilot's credentials are? Nobody gives a hoot what the pilot's credentials are. If he's ready to put his life on the line for this airplane, then I'll sit behind him and, 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 and trust him. If he's ready to put himself on the line, I'll go with him too. And inherently, that's what Moshe Rabbeinu is saying. We need a leader who will stick his own neck out first. When there's battle, when there's danger, he goes first. So everybody will listen to him. From the day that the Rabban Shalom appointed Moshe Rabbeinu to be the leader of Klal Yisrael, and chose him specifically because of his deep-rooted, essential connection to the Jewish people. It was from that point and onward that Hashem said to Moshe, your fate is sealed with them. That's why the Jewish people trust you so much. Because we know that Moshe Rabbeinu will never leave us no matter what happens. Now take your holy hand, says Hashem to Moshe, Put it on Yeshua's head and make him a leader just like you. I mentioned before that the first time Hashem told Moshe that he wasn't going to go into Israel was back in Chumash Mois when Moshe complains to Hashem that the Jewish people are suffering. On a simple level, it's a punishment. Hashem says he shouldn't have complained. Now I'm going to punish you. On a deeper level, it's not a punishment. Hashem says to Moshe, look at you. You're an Oyev Yisrael. You're a lover of Jews. I didn't appoint you only because you were because of your great spiritual prowess. There are Jewish, there are people who have great spiritual prowess, but don't care about their fellow Jews. Look at you, says Hashem. You, Moshe Rabbein, are ready to challenge me, Hashem, for the sake of your fellow Jew. That's what makes you Moshe Rabbeinu. But guess what, says Hashem, because of that, you're never going to be able to separate from the Jews. The Jews are not going to go into Israel, and therefore you're not going to go into Israel. You're going to stay with them. 
in life we sometimes wonder who to listen to, who not to listen to, who to take advice from, who not to take advice from, which leaders to follow, right? Which leaders not to follow. We sometimes wonder we get different conflicting messages. We wonder sometimes which people are worthy of position, of the position, which are not. From a Torah's perspective, it's crystal clear. And there's one criteria. In order to be a Moshe Rabbeinu, in order to be a Yehoshua, in order to be one who earns the right that the Jewish people will quote, listen to. You want to be listened to by the Jews? Seal your fate together with them for better or even better. Who's in it? Who's the pilot? Who's placing their life on the line together with the fate of the Jewish people? Who's ready to risk themselves? Who's ready to put the money where their mouth is for the advice that they're giving? You want to give me advice? You want to give me advice? I have only one question for you. Do you follow the same advice yourself? Yes or no? You want to give me advice in something where my very life might be on the line? Only one question. Would you put your own life on the line for this? Yes or no? Yes! If you do, I follow you blindly to the other side of the world. Not literally. Excuse me. That may be my sign that my time for my shear is up. I follow you blindly to the other end of the world, not literally blindly, but figuratively in the sense where we're, I'm ready to go. If you're prepared to put your life on the line, I'll follow you anywhere. You wanna be a Jewish leader? Invest yourself with everything you have, everything you have, leave nothing behind. And the Jews will follow you like a Moshe Rabbi. You want the words of Hashem, to flow through your mouth. You want to be a worthy conduit of Hashem's message. Remember, the fate of the Jewish people is the fate of my own. And of course, Hashem has promised us that the fate of the Jewish people with the coming of Mashiach will be wonderful. Please God, with, with the final Ka'ula, will be reunited with Moshe Rabbeinu and his entire generation, all of whom, and Yeshua, and all of his generation, all of whom will go into Eretz Yisrael together with Mashiach himself, who as a student and a continuation of Moshe and Yeshua follows the same model of leadership. Have a wonderful Shabbos.